You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Dogs, there are cats. People have them as pets. But isn't there a big problem with them being mukt on Shabbos? I mean, it's not like a major issue. Like, what are you going to do? The Gemara does say uh, on Shabbos, Kuvchavches, that you cannot uh, handle and and, and and one thing has to be understood, it's handling. We're talking about moving. That's what I'm saying. You know, I made a joke about touching and moving and uplifting. So there are three different things. There's touching the animal, moving the animal because fur, and then there's actually lifting the animal. Three different aspects of mukta. If we take a look at what the Gemara says, the Gemara says that we seem to be, that, that the Gemara talks about a tremendous hetter. The Gemara says you're allowed to take a little, um, uh, you can take a pot or any sort of item that, uh, that, that has a little bit of height and you could put it in front of this bird, an Efroach. It's not a pet bird, but it's a bird that you're raising in order for the bird to be able to jump on top because you're sort of helping the bird in its, in its progression. So even though the commercial, the bird's muksa, but you still can move something for the sake of the muksa. We're showing him say, but when the bird's on that thing, when the bird is on his little perch, that you've like, you took a pot and you turned it into a bird perch. You can't move the bird perch. Bird jumps off. It's okay. So you see from the way the Gemara discusses that these animals are muksa. However, we're not uncaring and unfeeling about them. The Gemara talks about uh, being able to, to, to lead animals out when they need to go out. Tsar Bali Chaim is a very important issue. So clearly, in the time of the Talmud, time of the Mishnah, there was involvement in animals on Shabbos. But there was a sense that we weren't going to violate the Muktza uh, prohibitions. Now, Muktza, of course, means from the word Katzah, which is at the furthest point of your mind. They aren't stuff that's part of your life. So if an animal is suffering, if an animal needs help, Sar Bali Chaim says you, you get involved. Um, and, and the Gemara speak about that. The Gemara speaks about medadadim etabahemos, that you actually can, if, if, they're, if, they, if they're just learning to walk, and they need help. You can actually, you can't lift them, versus, but you can actually hold on to them while they're walking. And somehow, and that also was considered mutter because of Tsar Bali Chayim. So it's not like this old modern thing that we have, that, that we have animals and we want to touch them and, and move them. Chazal spoke about touching them. Chazal even spoke about sort of moving them in a way as they were moving and you sort of like were holding on to them. And that was considered halakhically correct. The issue came about um, holding them, not because they need to be held or, or because they need it because they're ill or because you somehow have to save their lives and you don't want to be over Tzar Balichayim, but you're doing it because they are pets. They are pets for for sort of meant for the sake of handling. They're meant for the sake. That's, that's what they're about. 
they're, they're, they, they're, you know, they're bi- the biological cuteness that they, that they come with is meant to, you know, in your mind, I mean, that's why you have them. You have them because they already have this pre-existing relationship with you. Now, which is very different um, than some of the cases that the Rishonim speak about. If, let's take a look, for example, at um, one of the most famous sources that's quoted by the Marach or Zerua. The Marach or Zerua, uh, he, uh, he was saddled with a, a, a last name, uh, or Zerua, which was his, fa- his father was Rabbi Yitzchak of Vin, who had written one of the most important svarim in the time of the Rishonim, the Or Zerua. He, uh, the Orzerua died before he could raise his, his son. And his son, Chaim, grew up in the shadow of his, of his father, who had written this incredible book that people were copying and sending. And um, like his father, uh, he became a student, although a very young one, of the primary Godelador of Germany of that time, the Maram Rutenberg, or mayor of Rothenburg. And uh, along with other students that the mayor of Rothenburg had, the Mordechai, uh, Mordechai Ben Hillel, who died on Kiddush Hashem and the Rhine, Rheinfleisch massacres, Usher Ben Yechiel, the Rush, who was able to escape Germany and then reestablished himself in Spain and became uh, the, really the, the post-sick of the generation. They were all part of this group, this incredible super group of students. And one of them was the, was the orphan Chaim Benor Zerua. And his book has actually become quite popular. It was as popular as Sefer. The questions were interesting. And you can see this question he asks to his friends, who he calls his Rebbeim. He says, he says, Panu I've got a bunch of questions. Can you answer them? Here's the last question that he asks. The Chuba has a number of questions. But here's his question. The Gemara clearly calls them Muktza. I think we could maybe be Matir. What's what we have now? We have birds that we keep. Now, when did people start keeping songbirds? Probably even in the time of the Talmud, they had them in the Mishnah. The Mishnah, you're going to see the, what he's going to quote in a minute about uh, about a, a, a bird. But he says, I've got these parakeets. I've got these, 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 I don't know if parakeets sing. I don't think so. But anyway, um, but I've got these songbirds. And uh, can't I move them? Because you don't have to be worried that you're going to like, like you're going to rip off their their uh, one of their wings. And therefore, so here we see the beginning of an idea that they aren't farm animals that maybe I want to appropriate. Like, the, like, like, for example, 
one of the things that the Gemara speaks about, the Gemara speaks about the sheer of, 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 if you would take out on Shabbos, a grasshopper. The Gemara says, a, one grasshopper alive because you'd want to give it to your kid to play with. There definitely was, you see, in the time of Chazal, the use of small little animals. They didn't have G.I. Joe. They didn't have action figures, right? So they used to use, they used to take small animals and they would give their kids small animals to play with, live ones, right? <laughs> uh, the, Gemara even, the Gemara, in fact, says in Shabbos, if you've been doing the Dafyomi, you remember the Gemara just said recently that, that even a dead animal, the child mourns over, in other words, he plays with the grasshopper, and then he plays and plays and plays, and then he probably kills it because he played with it too rough. But then he mourns the fact that he didn't have that that that, that grasshopper anymore. Lumar speaks about the fact of of using little chicks to sort of like give to their kids to play with. So that was well known in the time of Chazal. Chaim Zerua was talking about the fact that it's not just for kids. I've got him in the house because they are sort of like important in the house. They're the TV. <laughs> they're fun. They're the record. They're the Victorola, right? So since, therefore, it isn't just, you want to reappropriate something. The idea here was that my purpose of having them is for my use. My purpose of having them is for my use. It's not... I, I, it's not like, oh boy, you took this animal and now, and the animal's really meant to lay eggs eventually, and you you took one of them and said, here, kid, you play with this. That the Gemara speaks about. Rechaim Marzaru is talking about a little more advancement on that. He says, maybe Muktzah should change based on that. Because, he says, um, because they are basically here to be a pleasurable thing. And he says, you have a slikusta. Shivamara. I'm not sure what that is exactly. Some sort of mirror or some image or some picture that you look at. Again, you have to look this up. I should have done that. I'm sorry. But we know um, when it comes to looking at something and hearing something, it has the same halacha in terms of me'ila. It's not considered like you've impinged on it, but it's a, it gives you a benefit. And then he wants to bring a proof. He says, the Gemara famously says, the Mishnah Beitza says that, again, that you don't, we don't, um, we don't dance, we don't sing, we don't make a whole circle dance. Maybe circle dances might be different, but the type of dances that they used to, were used to, aren't done on Shabbos, and we don't clap, and we don't have a whole to do on Shabbos, because the Gemara says we're afraid you're going to take the instruments out, and we're afraid that the instruments are going to get, um, there's, there's going to be a string that, that, that becomes dis, uh, severed from the instrument. You're going to try to fix it. What about the fact that that's why you don't take these instruments because we're afraid they're going to, you're going to fix them or you're going to make your own instrument and say, hey, I can make one of these things too. What about the fact that the item is, 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 is creating music he says, you would be able. It says, if it wouldn't be for the Xayra Shematifsak, that it would somehow break or the string would break and you'd fix the string, which means an item is not muktzah because it's not just a noisemaker. Stop with the noise! 
No, it's actually pleasurable, right? And maybe it should it, it shouldn't be muktzah because it gives me Shabbos benefit. It gives me a it gives me a benefit as a human, and therefore it's not a muktzah item. That was. This is the beginning of the movement, <laughs> moving them. In other words, not just touching them, moving them on Shabbos. And this lechara would be a source. The same svara could be used for dogs and cats. They're not mousers. They're not guard dogs. They're companions. They're there to enjoy. Now, we saw last week that Rabbi Yaakov Emden was was quite against this 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 uh, phenomenon that was occurring, which was these people are taking these animals, and especially he was worried about what the Gemaras had talked about. And, and 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 again, we mentioned last week the difference between the small and the large, right? That maybe the large animals, the Gemara did speak about uh, the possibility of znus with those animals. But these small ones that are clearly different, they're clearly pets in a way. And because of that, perhaps it should be mutter on Shabbos because they are not, right? They're meant to be something, not just a plaything for a child that's been reappropriated. Part of what the interaction you have with them is to hold them. In fact, holding them is what they want. Right? They want to be held. They want to be petted. They want to be connected to. And you enjoy connecting to them. So this is really the, the earliest source for that. Now, who did he send the question to? He sent them to his teachers. And those were really his his older friends, also students of Mayor of Rothenburg. And the one who decided to answer the question was the man, Usher Ben Yechiel, who, who became, of course, not only became this incredible posek, which is, of course, the Rush. And the Rush says, he says, He says, I can't, I hear what you're saying, but you can see from the Rush and the Rush, You can't bring a raya from, from, from Kalim to animals. Why? Because the laws of Muktzah are different for Kalim than they are for other things. So let me explain a little bit of the laws of Muktzah. There's the two designations I want to talk about, I'll speak about quickly is there's Kli Shemalachta Le'isr. In other words, a Kli, an item that basically you use uh, an iron. Okay? So uh, an iron that you iron clothes with. So it's it's electric, it's got heat, it does a malacha that's osir. So that's called a klisha malachta le'isr. It has a use, but that use is considered an osir use. It's not like completely, it's not considered no use. So you have a dispensation to move it. You can move it if it's sitting in, in a place you don't want it to be. Okay? So you'd be able to move the item. Or let's say, if it stays here where it is, the rain is going to fall on it and it's going to ruin it. That's called, that's what Sarach Atzmo, you're allowed to also move it away. That's a klisha malachta 
Then you have something that's muksa machmas atzmo. It has no use at all. And that's the way the Rishonim, and that's the way the Gemara seems to think about animals. That animals in this case, unless you have those exceptions we spoke about before, are muksamachmas atzmo. Another one would be muksamachmas chisoron kis, something that's totally out of your mind because you would never touch it because touching it would, would, would somehow ruin it and it would take away from your parnosa. So those things, the aspect of muksa is more chomor. Those are called, you can't move them because you want to get them out of the way. Those are, you really have to, you can't, so muks is not pushed away because of that. So the Rosh says, a, a kli is different. A kli you can move, l'tzorach gufo, l'tzorach makomo. But an animal is like rocks. It's like rocks that you have in, in your chotzer. Even if you need them, you can't move them. For example, or, uh, uh, let's say you have an iron and you want to use it to crack nuts, you have a right to use that on Shabbos. Even though it's an iron that plugs in and does a malacha that's also, but if you have no other way to crack your nuts, you can use the iron to crack them. But that's not the case when it's muksa like, like a rock, which is what he says the animals are. They have no use. He says, therefore, he says, Now, that's the, the the rush is now quoting something else here. The rush is quoting the idea that you're not supposed to actually lean down on animals. You're not supposed to ride animals, right? Even if you're not moving them, because ein mishdamshim balechayim Chazal say that's why you can't ride a horse. Uh, the Gemara speaks about actually, you know, even putting your hands down on the animals called ishdamshim balechayim. And the Rosh says, I know what you're saying. It's a different type of animal. But he says, Velo plug The rabbis do not make a distinction with Balechayim. So the Rosh closes the door. And he says, you can't prove from a, from a guitar to an animal. From a Victorola to an animal. Animals the rabbis clearly have shut the door to. That's what the Rosh says. And the Mordechai, although I don't have time to show this, I could show it to you in a different time. The Mordechai, the Rosh's friend, who also died on Kiddush Hashem, another friend of Rav Chaim also responds to this question and also says that, that the rab, we, have, we have received tradition that we can't make any exemptions. So, it would seem that the door is closed. But yet, perhaps the door could can open up because maybe things have changed. So there's a wonderful article that was written by a student of Rav Aaron Lichtenstein. Um, it's, based, it's in a safer that he wrote. Uh, his name is Rav Shmuel David. And uh, he has an article here about Tilta Balechai and Bishabbos. He actually quotes, I quoted, I, I, again, he quotes these Rishonim that I'm talking about. He also quotes the Mordechai, as I showed you here. Um, the Mordechai quotes Rabbeinu Shimshon that it might be Mutter. Now, Rabbeinu Shimshon was not talking about a songbird. Rabbeinu Shimshon was talking about a little chick, that you're allowed to hold a little chick and give it 
to a baby as a rattle. <laughs> hey, don't cry. Don't cry, Kolev. Don't cry. Here, that's my grandson. Don't cry. Here, here, here. Look at this little chicky, chicky, chicky. So Rabbeinu Shimshon said that would be mutter to do. You could actually pick the chick up and use it to, to quiet the, the, the baby. But the Mordechai says, Dvarav Einam Iker. Now, Rabbeinu Shimshon, if I'm correct, is the is one of the most famous Baliatosvos, which is even earlier than the Marach or Zeru. He's actually uh, the nephew, I believe, of the Ri of the Rabbi Yitzhak Dampierre, or student of the Ri, uh, Rabbi Shimshon Misens, so, uh, who was the teacher of Yechil of Parish and other Baliatosvos. When they say Rabbeinu Shimshon, you get a sense. So there was already this movement in the Ashkenaz. Not only did they have animals, songbirds, and play with animals, there was, again, there was this nascent, nascent movement to allow and, and to push Muktza, to push the boundaries of Muktza, but it was closed off. The Rush and the Mordechai and others closed the door at that point for this idea to happen. And Rashmul David says that he believes that it's still different. He says he believes even these Rishonim are different. It's an animal you could the whole point is what you do is you always pick the animal up and you play with it because it's meant for that. And in fact, um, Zaman Arbach himself understood that the situation had changed. And in a number of places in the Sefer Shmir Shabbos Geilchasa, which was written under the guidance of Rav Zaman Arbach Zatzal, Rav Neubert Zatzal, and Rav Zaman worked together on the book. And Roshul Mazalman knew that things were different. Um, and therefore, Roshul Mazalman said you would be able, uh, uh, he thinks that you would might be able to, uh, to move the birdcage on Shabbos. And he says you therefore might able to be even move the aquarium because they are meant to beautify the house. And especially if you do move them around, and especially if you knew about it before Shabbos, or Shalom Zalman is very close to allowing it. But he didn't exactly allow it. <laughs> he allowed the, so he allowed the, the aquarium to be moved because he felt it had a purpose. The purpose is people like looking at it. Same way you can move a picture, you can move an aquarium. Chacham Avadia talks about this, and Chacham Avadia says, look, I know the Marach or Zerua, but he says, as, as great as the Marach or Zerua was, he doesn't hold a candle to the Rosh. The Rosh is a Rav Muvaku, Chacham Avadia said. And therefore, um, we've got to go with the Rosh, and we close the door on handling pets. So first of all, sort of David writes here, he says, I think things are different. And maybe you're right. Uh, you don't find any of the Sephardim saying that it should be mutter. But 
according, if you're an Ashkenazi, he says it should be suffake mutter. Um, that's one thing. And then he said he thinks that things have changed today. The ones that are meant to be handled, the pets. And he says he heard a psak from, from the Rishon Lutzion of the time, Rav Mordechai Aliyu. He says, it is a machlokas Rishonim. And since Muktz is a Rabbonon, and there is a room to be makel and say, we're going to go like the Rabbonon Chitas. So it's not just the Marach or Zerua, it's the Marach or Zerua, Rabbeinu Shimshon. And therefore, the, since the reality has, is changing and changing even more in terms of the way people interact with these animals, therefore, Rav Mordechai felt that we could be makel. Um... Rav David was a Talmud in uh, the Gush, I would assume, and that's where he became a, a Talmud of Rav Aaron Lichtenstein Zatzal. And look what Rav Aaron Lichtenstein said. Rav Aaron Lichtenstein said, Roy Lahachmir. Really, if someone asks you this question, you should say, look, your dog's in the house. Okay, you could feed it, you could pet it, but do not move it, do not pick it up. Why? Because, look, Tosfos, Andaf Memhei, the Mordechai, the Rosh, um, those are pretty heavy, heavy hitters. I'm not going to say Rav Aaron says it's a suffix in the postkip. But I hear the story very well, and if someone does do it, if someone does have pets, and someone does handle the pets and pick them up, you should not say anything to them because self, self, it is a machlokas. And it makes sense what they're saying. But I, Aaron Lichtenstein, I'm not going to go out to be made. So are we, are we ready to push it to beyond and say, yes, let's, let's, let's just take this off the table. We're almost there. Rav Aaron Lichtenstein is one step away from, right? He says, look, you know, it's Mustafa, and we have Rav Mordechai Aliyu saying it's a suffix. Especially if you come from the Ashkenazi world, you actually have these postkim, and even if you come from the Sephardi world, despite what Chacham Avadi says. So I, I really believe that there's a, a tremendous mokum here uh, to be matir, uh, picking up these animals. And even if they're not the little small lap dogs, but if that's what the way you handle with your dog, uh, your big. Uh, uh, Terrier or uh, or Malamut or whatever it is, uh, it, it it really should not. Now again, so that's in terms of muksa, and 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 there actually is a tshuva from Rav Moshe as well. And it's a very short one. And it was written at the end of his life. And many people said that it contradicts what he wrote and told other people. One of the issues that comes up with Rav Moshe is as he aged, 
people started saying, oh, those chuvas that were written in the latter part of his lifetime, he wasn't in control. They said the same thing about Rabbi Yoshev. People say, even about Rechaim Kanievsky, that he's giving wrong information. But with Ramesha, there was a suspicion that maybe some of the chuvas were actually written by others. His grandchild, Rabbi Mordechai Tendler, um, this uh, was from Shabsi Rappaport, um, who was living in Eretz Yisrael, but probably came in. He was married to Ramesha's granddaughter, a Tenler girl. He was uh, he's, 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 uh, Mordechai Tenler's brother-in-law, Shabsi Rappaport. Um, and he is, a, you know, a, 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 a Dati Le'umi type of rabbi. And he was very close to Ramesha. Ramesha loves him. Ramesha speaks to him uh, quite often. Uh, and this... Uh, the eighth volume of the Igris Maisha, there is this tshuva that has a number of, of, of machine gun questions and answers. And he writes that this was a tshuva that Rav Moshe dictated and that Rav Moshe had um, a writer, uh, like a, a secretary with a, with a typewriter that was writing stuff up and they read it back to Rav Moshe and Rav Moshe agreed. Many people have pointed out that Rav Moshe's tshuva on record in an earlier volume seems to say that Balei Chaim are muktza, even if they seem to be pets. Here we see Rav Moshe writing the following. And again, it was written by someone else, but Rav Moshe looked it over, and Rav Moshe said this, Rav Moshe agreed. You have to take Rappaport's word. I do believe Rappaport wouldn't lie about it, he quotes one of the Rishonim here, and he quotes the Rishon is Rabbi Yosef. It's actually Rabbi Yosef Porat, the, the, um, the, also known as Rabbi Yosef Bechor Shor, who wrote a very important commentary on Chumash that goes with Shem Shem Misens, Chaim or Zerua. All of these people wanted to be Matir handling live animals. He says, Rabbi Moshe said, listen, Abalchai is a Muktzah. We hold like the other Rishonim, even ones that kids like to play with. However, Ella im Kane Hemiuchodim Lishashuim. It has to be that they are miyuchad to play with. They're pets. And Ramosha used the English term here, pets. So this little line here seems to show you that a, you got it to be a pet to be Shashua. Right, it's not a problem. Um, I have to tell you again that the Rav Aviner, um, Shlomo Aviner, uh, also uh, is considered a, a posik among the uh, the Mafdal, and he is a posik. I'm not going to say the only considered one. That's a wrong way to say it. He gives a heter a hundred percent when it comes to an autistic child uh, who is being brought out by a pet, that somehow the person has a difficulty relating and the pet is able to bring out his emotions and feelings by touching it, by moving it. And therefore he is matir 100% uh, to get a dog and to, and, to, and to pet the dog and move the dog on Shabbos and lift the dog if necessary for that sake. I think Rav Avinir's psak can be easily connected, especially, and again, I hear this is Kivilevich going out on a limb. If the family also feels that this is something they need 
person feels that, again, it lowers his blood pressure. Um, I would say in terms of um, corona, uh, cabin fever, and difficulty, I think Rav Aviner's heter is here. Rav Moshe's heter is here. So, I would say that there is quite a room here to Mordechai Elihu. I think we've shut the door on that. Let's go to part two. Part two is about dogs and about animals, but it really starts with um, a, uh, a question of, and you've probably heard this before, but I think it's still worthwhile going through it. So, I felt a little connection to this Shiloh because it started out of Elizabeth, but it also had a, it also uh, made waves in Boston as well. So this was a, a question that Rav Pinchas Mordechai Tites, who was the more than just the rabbi of Elizabeth, uh, as uh, David can attest to, he was sort of like the king of Elizabeth in terms of rabbis. He he helped create the whole Elizabeth. Torah community and the Jewish community there. Uh, not that Elizabeth was zero beforehand, but he definitely was a powerful, a powerful person. Uh, he was a person that uh, not only was a Talmud Chacham in his own right, but a, a forward thinker in terms of dealing with his community. Uh, and for Claudio he of course had the radio program, which is sort of like the percusser to what I'm doing, because of course this is going to hopefully be a podcast soon. Uh, and he did a radio program uh, every Moitzay uh, Shabbos in Yiddish, where he gave over the Dafa where we give over the Gemara. And there are people who remembered listening to this program on WEVD, I think it was, uh, back in New York. Some of you might remember that that station. And it was on Saturday night, and uh, it was hooked up just like I'm hooking up here with this with Zoom. And he gave this year every, and it was very well loved, very well received. People who remembered listening to it talked about his eloquence, how the, the beauty of his explanations. And it was really one of the first using, uh, using uh, these type of mediums to teach Torah uh, on a massive way. So that's rough, rough tights. He had a lot of other schools. I mean, I don't want to make this a sure about Rav Tights, but Rav Tights was the one who, um, and here in Elizabeth, he's the Rav, the Alta Rav. So in 1953, he sent Rav Moshe the question because a blind person, they've taught the dog to guide him and the dog needs to be with him constantly. Can he bring the dog into shul? Because the person wants to hear Kaddish, Kedusha, Kriya He wants to come from Megillah reading. And the dog, he says, it seems, Rav Moshe says, from the way you asked the question, that the dog has to go in with him into the shul. Or maybe you can't do that. Maybe there's a bizoyan to bring an animal into shul, that it's a mikdash mahat. So, that was the question they asked Rav Tites. Um... Before I get to Rav Moshe's answer, I, 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 that was a that that was on a regular Shabbos or on Purim. I called Rav Tites' son, 
he should be gesund. And said, do you have any background on this story? It was like, was like the shul up in arms about it. Do you remember? Like, why did he have to go to Rav Moshe? So all he told me was that he himself, Rav Taitz, wanted to allow it. But I guess he felt he needed Rav Moshe's seal of approval, which sounds like there was a pushback in Elizabeth against it. I don't know. Rav Taitz was, the younger Rav Taitz was away in yeshiva at that time. He was a younger man. He was learning in Cleveland at that time. So he doesn't remember or he doesn't have a vivid knowledge of what was happening in the community in 1953 at that time. Um, or 52, probably around 52, 53, because there's the 23rd of Shvat. Yeah, it's probably 53. Now, However, there was a story that was quite uh, terrible, and I want to show you that. Um, let me see if we have that up here. So let's take a look at that. I think I have it up here. That's a story that happened with Rev Salvatric in Boston. I'm not sure if you're aware of it. Uh, you guys might have heard about the story. Um, I, I, there are two versions of the story that are contradictory to each other. So... Um, Find it for you. Rav YSB. Okay. Rav Yasha, you know, I got it spelled wrong. That's right. I'm, 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 I'm becoming, uh, there we go. Rav Yasha Beresalbechik. This is like the old days. Here we go. Okay. This was recounted by um, Rav Herschel Schechter. Pam irisha odam summa shimon bad skus mokum tefila beis haknes biyadayom menoroyim. There was uh, a person who was blind in Boston who had paid for a seat in shul. According to Rav Herschel Schechter, the Rav said it was on Rosh Hashanah. Uh, according to another version, it happened on Yom Kippur. He brought, surprise, the man brought his dog into Shul because the dog is what helped him walk in the street and he brought the dog into Shul. The people were davening in Shul and they said, no, you can't come in on Rosh Hashanah or on Yom Kippur with that dog. He says, no, I paid for my seat. I'm coming in. Who is Akesh And because they wanted to stop him, what happened was that they actually pushed him down and he suffered wounds. He suffered something happened to him. 
he wasn't going to take it lying down. The blind man decided he was going to file a civil case against the, the, the shul, against the congregation. Um, the person had decided, the, again, the uh, actually was the attorney general, um, called, um, in other words, the case was filed in, in, in the Massachusetts courts. The attorney general of Massachusetts or the assistant attorney general of Massachusetts called uh, Rav Salavechik because he says that it really depends. He says that um, was the man halachically, according to Jewish law, allowed to bring the dog into the shul or not? Um, now, um, I, I want to show you the other version of this story. Now, again, according to, again, I'll tell it to you out loud. When Salvechik got the call, or Salvechik got the call, he said, what are you calling me for? He said, uh, this was in a conservative shul. I'm the rabbi, but, you know, I, I, I have an orthodox shul. The minion that they had as part of Maimonides, uh, in the Maimonides school. So that's an orthodox shul. So, um, so the attorney general said, the assistant attorney general said, look, you are the Torah, the Torah expert here in, in this city. And therefore, whatever you decide, we're going to rule in this case. In other words, obviously, if he had violated the law and the law, whether it's orthodox or conservative, then clearly the blind guy was told to leave. He was told not to bring the dog in. And he therefore cannot file charges for the fact that they inadvertently pushed him and he fell and was hurt. But if he had the right to do it, then the congregation was wrong and their actions will be deemed malicious in that way. So Rav Salvechik had the paskin on this case. And according to Rav Herschel Schechter, Rav Salvechik thought it was Osir. Um, hmm. That was one version of it. However, there does exist an alternate version of, of what Rav Salvechik said. I don't know who Ellie Turkel is. But take a look at what Ellie Turkel wrote. The bottom line was that if one would allow a blind guest with a seeing eye dog into his house, then he could come to shul with it. Since the Rav assumed no one would object to a seeing eye dog in his own home, he poskened that a blind man could come to shul with a seeing eye dog. So Rav Salvechik felt that you're talking about Kedushas Beis HaKnesses. So Rav Salvechik felt a shul is not the Beis HaMikdash. A shul is, is your house that you allow God in. It's, it's a community house where the best part of us comes in. 
but it's ultimately a house of people. After Corona, it isn't just we're going to the synagogue, which is like this Greek term of a place to convene, but it's a base haknesses. It's a bias. It's a house that we all come. We, we don't come in our shorts. We don't necessarily come with a lack of respect. We realize that in a way, this is the place that God is waiting for us. But ultimately, according to Turkel, what Rav Salvechik said was, think about your house on a fancy meal, an important event. Would you object and you, to the blind person coming and he has to have a dog with him? So I don't know why you have this machlokas between what Salvechik paskant. And I'm not sure. You maybe can do some digging in this case in Boston and figure out how the case was adjudicated. Maybe that could give us the, the proof. But that's the way Rav Salvechik looked at it. The difference between uh, uh, the, the shul, if you would allow such a thing in your house, you should allow it in your shul. And therefore, according to Turkel, that's what Salvechik said. According to Rav Shechter, Rav Salvechik said it was Osir and wouldn't allow it. That was that. But Rav Moshe allowed it. And Rav Moshe was based on on a Yershalmi. I'm going to go a couple, I know, again, I, we start a little bit late, just a couple minutes here. Um, just want to let you appreciate what what he does. He he quotes a Yershalmi in Megillah. Yershalmi Megillah says that Rav Imi told his sofer, Rav Imi told the sofer, the, sort of like the teacher of the kids, perhaps, his secretary, a person who was involved in writing halochos, a person who, right? He said, If someone comes to the shul, and that's sort of Moshe's assumption, that it's like a Beis HaKnesses, but they learn there as well. And the person has lichluch of Torah, meaning he's, he's got, he's not a tremendous Talmachachim, but he knows his way around learning. To have a way, he should be able to stay in shul. He should be able to use the shul as his hotel. He doesn't have to go to Motel 6. And not only that, his chamor, his donkey, and all the other things, his, all his other kalim should be in the shul. You should allow this person in there. Why? So the Yershalmi says, because Yeshua ben Levi already said that a shul is meant for a chacham and for students and people who are aspiring to be chachamim and students. Now, Rav Moshe says that they brought a donkey into shul. And therefore, right, um, it was allowed. The same way a Talmud can eat and drink in shul, if necessary, he can bring the animal in shul. And he says, this Yershalmi is brought by the Mogan Avram, it's brought by the Vilna Gon. And therefore, he says, we paskin like this Yershalmi. Now, um, 
halacha is that shuls outside of Israel are all built with a stipulation. Because we all expect to be in Eretz Yisrael, be Mosa Mashiach. Therefore, every shul that's in Chutz Loretz is built with a tenai that we have a right to eat there if we need to. And therefore, uh, in Shulchan Aruch, it's paskind that if, if a, a person doesn't have a place, he can eat and sleep in the shul, especially shuls outside of Israel. And if you actually build the shul, and when you build it, you say, we are consecrating this building, but we specifically say when we build it that we're going to allow people to come and eat and sleep here, it doesn't have to be a shasat chak. It doesn't have to be, oh, we, we have no other way and no other place to stay. And therefore, if Moshe says that, take a look, Everybody is makel today to eat in shul. It's not a shasat chak. He says, think about shalashidus. Why do we have to have shalashidus in shul where it's the place where everybody is davening? They, they moved off to the side and they sit at a table and they take the bagel and the egg salad or whatever, the roll and the egg salad and the herring that's left over. Why do they have to do that? Rav Moshe says, that's not a shasat chak. We don't have to have shalashidus in shul. And he says, look what the Hasidim do. The Hasidim, in all their shuls, they have big farbrengans, they sit down after davening, and they eat and drink in the shul. So it must be that we don't need to come on with Hatayrim, all these shuls and chutzlarets. So, if that's the case, that um, that became the minag, even though we don't know why. So, in our situation, we definitely have how, what's going to be with this fellow? Right? He says, you think a dog is worse than a, than a donkey? There's no bigger shasatchak than that. Because if, if we're going, if we won't allow this fellow, and this comes to the compassion of Ramosha, if we don't let this person, and we know there are certain days when you have a lot of Agmas Nefesh on Yom Kippur. Right? We know the post can already speak about that. The Ramon and Simon Peiches, that people who, who can't go into Shul on other times, we allow them in on Yom Kippur because they have such Agmas Nefesh. So what, are we going to tell this person he can't come to Shul? So therefore, Ramosha says he should be coming into Shul all right, if people are, are astounded by the sight of a man with this dog, then maybe he should sit near the door. But he can bring the dog into the shul. And, and, and you don't even, he says it might even be better than eating. Eating and drinking almost essentially leads to joking around. Whereas here, it's happening because it's, it's a way for him to daven. And maybe you don't even need the Yershalmi to allow it. It's not like, oh, I'm, I'm packing my animal here. So therefore, Rav Moshe did allow it. Now, um, Rav Yaakov Breish, who was the Rav of Zurich, attacked Rav Moshe on this. 
He attacked him while he was, in a sense, complimenting him and at least giving him the kavod, but he actually didn't even write the tshuva straight to him. So, look, I, I see that we are, um, um, uh, I think perhaps I'm going to expand this because there was another tshuva that Rav Moshe wrote that he was really attacked and, and Rav Breish, Rav Moshe responded and that was on artificial insemination. So there Rav Breish wrote to Rav Moshe. The, 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 the commonality, I'll end with this, the commonality of both of these attacks on Rav Moshe's psokim is that he feels they create a chilol Hashem. He believes that Rav Moshe's psak to allow dogs into shul, the single-eyed dog into shul, when his assumption was that wasn't proper behavior in a church, proper behavior, uh, uh, that was probably incorrect. But his assumption was that that's, how can we allow something when the non-Jewish world, they would say, they would be up in arms. That conservative show in Boston was definitely in that mindset that we don't bring animals into the, into the sanctuary. Um, so perhaps next week we'll, we'll, we'll expand things and you'll see how Rav Moshe responds to this taina that how can you allow something that in the non-Jewish world, the non-Jewish religious world, they consider us or, and, and, and we're allowing it? Rav Breish feels that Rav Moshe opened the door to leniencies and rabbis allowing stuff and people thinking it's the rabbi's dog and other things like that. So I'll explain Rav Moshe's uh, response Hashem, next week. However, the last thing I will tell you is that Rav Breish says, what about the poor blind guy? So Rav Breish says, you're worried that he's not going to be able to daven? Doesn't he have some other way? Can't someone bring him to shul at certain times? He has no other way? Okay, if he has no other way, he's an ones. An ones doesn't have to uh, come to shul. He's an ones. He's, no one can bring him. He can't bring the dog. All right, he stopped. He doesn't have to, he doesn't have to be upset. He'll find someone, uh, right? If, if he, it's really necessary. Here I believe it's important to understand. He says, he says, he could probably find someone to bring him to shul, but we shouldn't allow him. Here's really the essential difference, which I think is important. Rav Moshe was worried about the dignity of this disabled person and the importance of that dignity. He's got to call the guy to schlep him. He's got this dog. Forget about the fact that Breish has other issues with the dog. He thinks the dog is going to defecate in the shul. The dog is, the kids are going to go crazy about the dog. The seeing eye dogs are the most important, well-trained dogs you can know about. He obviously didn't know about that, but he's wrong about the dogs. He's wrong about, about, uh, about the, about making a rush in shul. But what he's mostly wrong about is his sense that a person who's, who's, who's disabled, he'll find people to help him. He'll find someone to schlep him and carry him. The dignity of independence, 
That's what Rav Moshe understood. He should be able to walk proudly into shul and get there as a human being. He shouldn't have to say, I can't get there, and I need someone to help me. That itself is a pigia in the essence of what a person needs to be, the compassion that Rav Moshe had. And that's where you see, they were both about the same age, Rav Breish, and Rav Breish had all his family was killed out, many of them in the Holocaust. And Rav Moshe, they both are escapees from Europe. He went to Switzerland, he went to America. But the outlooks can't be more different about what it means to be a, a dignified human being. And that's where attacking Moshe is attacking really us. And that's why people understood that Moshe Rabbeinu was ispashtus to Moshe Bechol Dor Vidor. He was called Moshe, Rabbi Moshe Feinstein, because he was born on Zion Oder. His parents, those tzaddikim, understood that he really reflected the best. And uh, Rabbi Reish quoted him called Mamunach, but I don't. Believe, I, I think Rav Moshe's psak is the essential one. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. 